Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. This is part two of my conversation with my son, Dave, as we continue to talk about, explore, ponder (laughs) an interesting suite of possibilities that Dave is raising about how our mind is working, even as we are doing something very normal and mundane. In the potential of us, there's so much more going on example, we may be applying a paintbrush to a canvas inspired by something we saw on a movie five years ago. It's all in there and we just keep bringing it out, including science fiction, the pondering of the universe, all of that in us at any moment is there to be applied in practice some good reason or not so good reason. So part two of the conversation that Dave and I had, where the physicist David Bone and his ideas came into play. <laughs> Why not? I mean, Why not? Let's, <laughs> let's, why not? Hey, we got 15 minutes. Let's do both. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, but I but I, just interject here that we can look very, very closely, you know, at at an apple on the head of a, a of a boy who's the target of an archer. And we can look at it very concretely and hold our breath to see how the arrow is going to fly. But if you take it all the way out to where you're pointing past 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 out to uh the possibility of endless possibility of everything then that's something we can do with our heads is it true that there's something well beyond what we're looking at well if you now look at william tell you can hear the music Mm -hmm. you can read the original story if it was written by i don't know whom but the, the, the fact is we can go all over the place with um, the equipment that we've got in our minds or as slash brains. And uh, I think from a standpoint of human growth and development, mm-hmm. we need to, to not just entertain this, these larger big uh, uh, guesses about existence and beyond, but recognize that even when we're shooting an arrow at an apple, some of that could be taking place. That the guy who's shooting the apple might have had this mythic sense of that he was um, infallible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, when the arrow hits the kid, the oh, whoops! I guess I'll have to toss out my infallibility theory. Right. So anyway, I'm 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 burbling, but you've got my head going in about seventy five directions. Yeah. Well, just just hold on, because we're 
right. we're just getting started. Okay. So, I mean, I, w- I won't go too deeply into um, um, subatomic physics and quantum theory, but an interesting little connection that, that we could just leave as, as a loose end that, that certainly becomes intriguing Okay. Is that the, in the in the brain the the axon and the dendrite are are connected by a little gap, and they and the way they fire is is there's an electrochemical signal that that goes across, and they go to these little tubules, and many have speculated the size of those tubules being so small might the effect might be better explained by quantum physics than it is by simple Newtonian particles. Because there's, there's certainly electrons, electrochemical, it's fast, it's super small. And, and many have started posing the idea that um, um, maybe we need to know a little bit more about what quantum physics is to understand even a bit deeper how, how the brain works. But yeah, I don't, necessarily, I don't think we necessarily have to explain that to talk about what we to, to cover what we've talked about so far with neuronal groups um, necessarily, but it's interesting because we did start with David Bohm, who did, who, who did start with a, a model of physics. And it was one that was at the time, I guess we would put it in the material. Some call it, it's, it's a certain interesting bridge between a, a materialist point of view that we sort of been putting forth here, but one that takes us um, beyond that as well. He, uh, Briefly, what what he called his pilot wave model. Um, if you if you were to uh, well, basically, if it would probably be best to look it up. There's a couple of great YouTubes. There's a, a guy who does um, a bunch of great physics talks for I should have his name for for PBS, mm-hmm. um, and you could put that in YouTube and come up with some interesting examples. But basically, it's 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 trying to explain the idea of of a elect- like particle like an electron. Mm-hmm. You think of it, you could kind of picture the classic model of an atom with those clouds and the right. electrons are always at different levels. Mm-hmm. And the quantum idea is that, it, that they, the, the levels reflect the, the energy uh, of, of the, um, where the, that um, particle can be in its orbit. And the interesting thing is if the energy increases, the electron doesn't just go out as though you're releasing a um if you were spinning a, a yeah a heavy ball on a string you would just let out let it out by more spring string no it yeah. just goes from one level to the other with nothing in almost in a sense literally nothing in between there's no there's no there's a gap there the gap wow. if you were to blow up a the the atom to the size of of um a basketball that gap might be covering one state to to the neighboring state, like one side of Connecticut to the other. Wow! So there's a lot of nothing there. Um, a lot of nothing. And there's been various ways of approaching that. What David Bohm said is that what's really might be happening is that the atom, the electron itself, is the ex- explicate form of a of an implicate ordering, and the implicate ordering is really the the wave potential that kind of the cloud in which the, the electrons um, um, covered in uh, and, and what you don't, you don't actually get one electron. You get little sequences of things that seem like particles, but they're really kind of emerging from something 
potentially much more complex underneath that mm. to some extent may be undetectable because it may be getting down to the very um, smallest thing that can be measured, which currently I think is called the uh, Planck constant. And we know a lot more about what makes up um, um, electrons and other particles are made up of subatomic particles called quarks. And then there's more and more layers um, mm -hmm. in which you get down to things like string theories, which are mm -hmm. thought to be the most fundamental things that, that are even below the, the, the measurable things that might have properties in the world. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, below that. So, but what um, Bohm is suggesting is that there's really a potentially it's we're not looking at lots of little particles, but we're looking at an, a wholeness, a sort of wholeness of which these um, um, particles that we that emerge in our world are are the explicit part of. Um, but underneath that is a sort of complexity that we've been talking about, including a notion of something that's more or less holographic, where where lots of information about distant parts of of the of, of the universe might be um become at the different points become different um reduced to different points of view expressed by by uh, each each atom i don't know i think i think i've got that wrong but it's it's it gets rather uh difficult to summarize i think the the point we can one point that I, I just is just a suspicion for me as I read his stuff is that I begin to think that what he's talking about at the quantum level of physics sounds more like what we've been calling social inaction and what Prigogine calls self-organizing mm -hmm. um, uh, phenomena with, with this emergence in the sense of observing that underneath the, the blankets of what we might see in, in the structure of an atom is, is almost a community of lots of complex interactions adjusting to, to perturbations. And, and so like for, for an atom to achieve an orbit or a spin around its, its center is, is actually a, almost a community effort in a way. Well, I love that idea. <laughs> so who knows? I but, mean, if you take it out and out and out and out to us, and then out to you know community and social, yeah, yeah, it's 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 an interesting take. Yeah, and luckily, you know, no one's figured out all the physics yet, so there's plenty of room for for uh, wacky ideas. Um, and and Bohm still he has some some um, fans, but I think he there's probably more critiques of him. And I think he deserves, I think he's, because uh, often those critiques miss, miss some crucial aspects of what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, but I guess the point that takes us back to what people might think of idealism is that there's, there's, there's lots of room for very odd things like communication, um, ways, ways that, that various parts of the universe are connected that doesn't have to be explained by, you know, atoms like billiard balls bouncing up against each other, where the only causality is that immediate visible contact, mm -hmm. but that there might be other ways of, of, um, of uh, connecting the world. I'm not going to conclude yet that it's necessarily a simulated universe just because we can't explain it. Um, I like to hold that off until I'm convinced otherwise. Okay. But there's a there's a um, interesting idea though 
that we can take when we think of the whole universe All right. and where we are right now. And given that uh, in the past three podcasts, we've, we've um, probably given a pretty good idea of how brains could have evolved um, probably on their own on earth. Although mm-hmm. I, I, I don't leave out the possibility of being tinkered with, with alien by aliens or something. Yeah. But the point is, why weren't we tinkered with, with aliens? Yeah. And why might there be aliens? Well, there's plenty of other planets out there. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the new, uh, what's what, not the Hubble, what's the name of the, of the new uh, space telescope that came out? Um, I should know it's right. So it's operated out Johns Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're sending signals back right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they took a, a, a deep, a, deep, deep. It went in yeah, so, far, it, so deep that it was looking at yeah, billions the, of years of, uh, of it, yeah. Time. And what you saw was just, you know, this sky crowded with galaxies. Yes. This galaxy, you know, billions and billions of yes. stars and plenty of planets. And this, this telescope could actually almost see planets that are nearby so there's plenty of room out there for lots of intelligence to have evolved yes now another uh, physicist uh, um, von neumann um, kind of addressed this issue of okay if there's so much if there's such a big community out there why aren't they here and of course, UFO people say, "Oh yeah, that's what they are here. They're flying around their UFOs all the time." And even the, <laughs> the Navy's now admitted that they've they've seen UFOs. But his point was, why if if they've if they're here, why haven't they taken over? Why haven't they taken over every last planet and bit of rock and real estate by now? Because they've had a billion billions of years to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And, and one reason you can kind of pose that is that if you did have a, a um, <clears throat> someone, even where we are in, uh, in our advancement of technology, people are already trying to figure out how do we escape the problem of death? How do yeah. we live forever? Well, oh, we, yeah. we upload ourselves into computers. Yeah. You know, maybe we're only a hundred years at, or, or less away from being able to do that. Yeah. Now let's say someone, did that for a thousand years. Well, in order to do that, you might need to, to, to come up with something called contra, com, computronium that's built out of little bits of matter. Mm. It's not too long before you've dismantled your planet, your solar system, your galaxy into little bits to make enough comp, computronium to live in <laughs> for everyone to live in. And then you hit other societies that have done the same thing or, or a different method, and they're going to fight each other. Oh, no, we're going to have a war over Confraternity. Yeah, and, and given the age of the universe, there probably has been countless wars. And, uh, and so why, why are we still here? So there's billions of years to solve that, that problem and come up with other ways of, of uh, surviving intelligence surviving in some sort of medium that doesn't rely on physics uh, on the normal particle macroscopic physics and so we can kind of think of if this has been a if if we're here something solved that problem and we could think of it as being solved not not by evolving but with technology because that's what would have got got some group there in the first place and you could either have one mind 
who run, won the battle. And so there's only one mind in the universe. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I like to think that the laws of thermodynamics and entropy that we talked about would mm-hmm. apply still even to that. And so that any one, one mind uh, would suffer from entropy and come to kind of a heat death and collapse unless mm-hmm. that mind were able to to divide into lots of other minds. lots of parts yeah or yeah. or just let groups like like you know former former apes like us uh evolve and and do our own um get to our own level of mind and then get to the next next level around the time where we might figure out oh we figured out how to upload our brains into into computers at that point it's kind of like the star trek first contact moment where we find oh okay you've gotten to this level now here's now you've graduated into something where you can um here's how you do it right because there are a billion ways of doing it wrong oh yeah (laughs) and uh if you're going to be part of this uh layer of reality you got to play by some rules the only the real rules is that we should not uh destroy the whole universe or the capacity to <laughs> to um you know to have this this next level of of uh of existence but i kind of pose that there would still be relevance for not having the whole universe being this simulation but only aspects of ways of of living that in which uh living on real planets would still be of use because in order to keep the uh, like a universal level of mind intact it would have to find ways that people will creatively uh potentially destroy it that you have to look for (laughs) ways of of uh both living better but also living worse so that some unanticipated way of breaking down whatever layer of you know physics or whatever it is in which this kind of uh mind and or disembodied uh, life can survive would have to be one that works the best of all possible ways um or else it would probably would have already been damaged and Mm. perhaps the, the universe itself was constructed with this uh technology as part of it hmm and it kind of implies too that it's not an easy problem to solve like yeah. we aren't going to you know our physicists are never going to figure out where um where uh, the this uh, potential community of mind might exist because it has to be by nature hidden away or else um lesser advanced intelligent species would have found a way to break it <laughs> much as what? we find excellent ways to break our own brains with drugs and fast food (laughs) wow so yeah that's quite a it's you've taken us through a very serious but fascinating romp dave (laughs) (laughs) and and i i want to point out as we as we i have to watch the the time on this one and we we should do another one very soon because we've got a lot more to explore so back to the point of what does this have to do with an action and practice and my answer is you and i are participating in a moment of social interaction and we are 
creating meaning together. I don't want to throw too many words in because I know there's much more precise words, but we've carried ourselves through a moment of time paying attention to each other. And in a way, I felt almost like a, even though I wasn't saying as much, a dance of sense of you're, you're throwing an idea in, into words and out there and I'm catching it. And, uh, and it flows along and part of me, uh, uh, some part of my brain is saying, hmm, uh, what do you really think now, Dave? I mean, are you ready to let yourself think about, you know, all the notions of the universe that you've just heard explain? And uh, from a pragmatic and practice standpoint, if I said in my head to myself, nope, that's it. This is all craziness. It's all it's it's science fiction it's you know all the it's you know witches and demons all the other things that would my mind is as you say folded up and is ready to unfold for mm-hmm. for this moment it, it we we would discount it all and wouldn't right. that be a shame would yeah. that not be a shame it certainly is a reaction to many people yeah it is and, 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 and what I don't, that, go, go ahead. ahead yeah oh yeah and i'm not saying that that it's really just a Peter Vale would call um, conjecture. That's exactly what he would call it. And it, when he ventured into that way of building up what became the book, uh, he was basically going against the grain of most people in whose social science and psychological sciences had composed what we called our organization science or a field. He was not saying, Oh, I fully intend to debunk everything and mm-hmm. place my ideas about something called practice in front of the world. No, I, I, he was letting himself enjoy big E taking his mind into this big question, what is practice after all? We use it, reference, we talk about it all the time, and, but what do I think? And then he was very clear as you read through how he writes. Uh, now, listen, folks, this is just me thinking aloud here. This is me thinking, I'm thinking deeply, but I'm not trying to force any one of these notions on you. And it was always an invitation, and I reinforce it with what I would write, so let's let's give it some thought, though. Don't just discount the fact that practice is social technical system. Don't don't just throw it away because of the fancy words. Think about it. Recognize how every moment of your life has an external interaction with some kind of technology, however you define technology. Right. So yeah, it is about. I don't say this that you're playing with your mind. You're actually enjoying. The pursuit of inner of the possibility of ideas that you can put together as your own way of seeing, uh, you know, the world, and then telling us about it. That's yeah. to me teaching and making connections between things that ought to ought to be impossible, but then you just run into lots of evidence. Yeah, like like is there life after death? Is there psychic phenomena that? seems like people can read each other's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, are there aliens? Well, there's a lot of evidence. Mm-hmm. We could all be wrong. We could all be fooled. But if you see lots of evidence in the, in the pragmatist philosophy point of view, 
you start drawing together connections and mm-hmm. you try them, you see if they work, you wait till they, you try to try to um, knock them apart. And if they don't, then you've got one more uh, piece of the puzzle. Exactly. Uh, and uh, I, I am so impressed that uh, you can do that <laughs> and, and, uh, and in such a kind way, because you aren't saying better listen to me. I mean, you may be thinking it, it is, it is also a way of our contribution together. Uh, and if five or six people li- listen all the way through to this point, I would hope by then they're noticing themselves maybe in a slightly changing state of mind sort of saying, hmm, these guys aren't, why do I want them to be crazy? <laughs> what is it about me that wants them to be wrong? This, right. this takes us to everything you said about when we go past and start saying what the possibility of, of an alien presence and so forth. Why is it so important for me to discount and disregard and hit the, the stop button on this? Yeah. And if, and they should think about that because I think we're, we're going to be all of us better at being human. If we can stop putting our finger on the stop button right away and let lots of ideas happen in our presence. Right. Uh, I think we're going to be better off doing it and we sure as hell need some new thinking. (laughs) Right. Yeah, because what are the implications if if we are connected in ways that that are profoundly deeper than we can possibly imagine? Yeah, I'd be that. I'd be <laughs> pleased and delighted, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David David Bohm was one of one of the things that kept him going under the adversary. Uh, uh, adversarial responses to many of his ideas, and yeah, and also. Um, uh, Harold Edelman and and Ilya Prigogine, who I've been talking about in the past, and uh, um, I should probably find a a, a woman who has <laughs> who has this, oh, most most of the women in this field <laughs> push back so that you don't even hear about. Them. Well, then that <laughs> tells you something. That <laughs> tells you something right there. Exactly. Now, I think they're they're yeah yeah. Well, you know, uh, again, I'm watching my watch here, but uh, uh, Charles Purse. Mm-hmm. Uh, the American pragmatist. We've talked about his story. In fact, I think you and Linda have stopped in the, in his hometown a few times in your travels up this way, bludgeoned <laughs> by his colleagues. I mean, uh, they didn't hit him. They hit him with with uh, censures and uh, you know, called him a heretic and all the rest. And yet, what I saw, as you've seen and shown us through these other thinkers, what I saw was coming through. There's a few people who said, no, wait a minute here. And so they embraced some of that thought and they expanded on it and they've tried it out like John Dewey and some others. And eventually it's in the DNA of, mm-hmm. of the uh, back to the last point of some searches that we're undergoing on the nature of learning itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank goodness, because it's kept me fascinated quite a long while. Mm-hmm. So let's find a let's find that next uh, next scientist <laughs> who, may, <laughs> who may be a female. That would be delightful. Yeah, and maybe um, our next podcast could be a, a little more uh, uh, prag- pragmatic on 
less speculative, but I think um, oh, we can keep keep the ideas going and look for look for new new connections and dimensions that that we haven't addressed yet. Exactly, exactly. But thank you again, Dave. This has been a wonderful time. I've enjoyed every minute of it. We'll be back to you with microphone and camera in hand. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book On Practice as a Way of Being is available now in digital form, something that would be new, like podcasting to many of us. And it's a, a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary, one word, dot world slash practice, and you'll see what I mean. Thank you. <laughs>